Who you put your trust in matters. Investors have put their trust in independent registered investment advisors to the tune of $4 trillion. Why? Learn more at findyourindependentadvisor.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen with David Gura. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on iTunes, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Yeah, I'm Francine Lacqua in for David Gura or... Tom Keane. We're not sure. I'm with uh, Michael McKee. Mike, we get to choose who we are today. Are we you wearing a bow tie? Hour. I'm not, but in my mind I am. Everywhere <laughs> I go, Tom Keane is in my mind. Let's oh, have a look at the markets. That's scary. Because that's what, it is a little bit scary. It's a little bit freaky. But this is what Tom would do. So he'd open it up and look at the dollar pairing some of the weekly advance that was spurred by the prospect of higher U.S. interest rates. Gold also rebounding from a nine-month low. Uh, Mike, I know you're watching, of course, Black Friday. And the shift for me is it really incredibly onto mobile. And the online retailers doing a lot better than they did in previous years, right? Yeah, uh, we've been watching live pictures of various retailers coming in because it's Black Friday and you send your cameras out to do that. And stores don't look all that crowded. But um, why would you? This is what I don't understand is why you would go to a store when you can do the same thing and get the same bargains by sitting at home and not getting whacked in the head by somebody grabbing a TV set and swinging it around. Uh, I don't get that. <laughs> I, I did not realize it, it could be that violent. Actually, I remember seeing in the past uh, a lot of, the, you know, when the stores open, people actually fighting for stuff. I'm a little bit more old school, Mike. I like going in shops because I get a feel for the things I want to buy, and then I can't deal with the hassle of returning them. Let's get to someone who knows a thing or two about retail. He is Howard Davidovitz from Davidovitz Associates. He is chairman there. Howard, great to speak to you on this Black Friday. Black Friday, a success. Success, but are people really moving to online? Uh, massively, uh, massively. There's a massive move to online. And the total picture is uh, we're so overstood. We have three times the amount of sales uh, of square feet, three times per person in the United States than any other country, England, Japan, you mentioned it, Canada. We're overstored, and the hottest area is online. Now, you put those two things together, and you're going to be in for a massive readjustment in retail space and shopping center space, and that's what's going on with major retailers across the board, closing stores and downsizing stores, and that's what's going on. Yeah, but is is anybody going to – can you still make money? Put it that way. If you're a retailer – are you going to make money, or are we going to see people, even if they're trying to move people online, are we going to see people going out of business? We're going to massively see people going out of business, as we've seen and as we will continue to see, malls closing, stores closing, and folks going out of business. All right, well, name the names. Departments, well, the largest department store in the United States, Sears, they're in liquidation. What do you want them to do? Kmart was the largest discounter. They were 10 times bigger than Walmart. They're right. liquidated. I mean, if you go, and you and the list goes on and on and on. 
if you're in the office supply business, you know, there's just so many people in trouble out there, and it's because we're overstored and the growth area is online. That is a deadly combination. All right, but Howard, is this because of cheap money out there, so we've kept, you know, zombie retailers alive, or do we actually uh, think that because Donald Trump is coming on January 20th and he wants to remove the U.S. a little bit from globalization, that actually it's going to be so much more difficult for you guys to import cheap prices, cheap clothing from the rest of the world, so they'll automatically have to go under? First of all, this has nothing to do with Donald Trump or anything else. This has been going on for some time. What happened is retailers overexpanded. And one reason they did is with the craziness of Wall Street where you have to show growth or they don't like you, you got to show growth. So they all overexpanded. Cheap money was a major part of it when it comes to real estate and shopping centers. The, 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 the time is coming. We're going to have $50 billion up for refinancing in the next 18 months, and then $40 billion more after that. Those CMBS loans, there is going to be trouble because the banks are going to be very tough and the lenders are on renewals. And new and new structures. So, it, you, and you're going to have shopping center developers just hand the shopping center back to the banks. The loan is secured with the property. They're going to say goodbye and good luck. You're going to see this everywhere because this is what's going on. Well, is the same thing happening with small businesses, the the local retailers, as you're talking about with the big guys? With the lo- yeah, the local retailers, many of them, are getting crushed. You know, when I started in this business, I traveled across America, and I dealt with independent department stores in almost every state. Our firm did. By the way, you know how many of them are left? None. There are literally, you can count them on one hand. It, you don't have any more independent department stores in America. Wherever I used to go, think about New York. We had all we had Altman's, we had Gimbals, we we had six Orbacks, we had six independent department stores. They're all gone. Best in cup. They're all out. That's true in every single state. This is what's gone on already, and we're just beginning. The problem is going to get worse. We're overstored. This is the number one retail problem in the United States, overstored, and the fastest growing area is online. How can you possibly put those things together? You got a mess. All right, but Howard, I mean, this is true in the UK. This is true in, in a lot of our Western societies, that the big guys come over, they take office space, they can pay so much more than the independent retailer. Do you ever see independent retailers coming back? Oh, you know. Independent retailers will always find a way to come back because there is genius in independent entrepreneurs, and I see it everywhere. I go. look, take New York City. We used to have independent uh, drugstores on every block with the name of the owner. Now there are none because, of course, Wal- either Walgreens or CVS or Rite Aid owns everything. Right? There's no now. What what I see now are guys opening up little stores without a pharmacist selling health and beauty aids 
all over the place, and they look like they're very profitable. They're narrow spaces, very cheap. The owner is there with two employees, and they look to me like they're really doing well, and they're selling lots of cosmetics. They know exactly what to do. They're selling it for less. Entrepreneurs always find a way, but it's harder and harder. Well, let's talk a little bit about a Black Friday itself. This used to be huge, as right. a certain presidential candidate would say. Yep. Uh, and now everybody's sort of like, uh, why do I want to do that? Well, there are several reasons. Number one, Black Friday starts way earlier. That, and that is out of desperation on the part of retailers and a fight for market share and the mighty Amazon. They all started weeks ago with all of the sales for Black Friday. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Amazon Prime. So this started a long time ago. Now we have Cyber Monday, which takes up a lot of space, which is a huge day. We have Thanksgiving opening. We got all of this stuff going on, and all of that takes away from Black Friday. So is Black Friday still a very important day? Yes. Does it have anywhere near the impact it used to have? No, and you said something, Mike, very important before that I didn't miss. You said there, were an, there was a report from Target and Walmart on TVs. You know what that means? Best Buy is going to do great. That is the interpretation of what I heard from you, and Best Buy has been rolling anyway. Look for a very good performance from Best Buy. <laughs> uh, why do people buy TVs now? This can't be the cheapest of the year. If, if, if everybody knows you're going to go buy a TV, I'd jack up the price. Nobody can jack up the price, and here's the reason. There's too much product in too many places. You, that's what you can't do. Nobody has pricing power unless your product is unique. No one. So if everybody is selling the same TV... That means the only difference is price. That drives the price down. But Howard, down. this is a crazy business model. This, this won't work long term, right? That's do, do, why I am saying there is going to be carnage. Do you know how many electronics chains we used to have in America? You remember CompUSA? Remember Radio Shack? Remember Ultimate Electronic Circuits? Do you remember all of them? By the way, they're all gone. They're all gone. Best Buy is almost the only one left standing out of the 17 we had. Welcome to the club. We are talking Black Friday and retail with Howard Davidovitz. And Howard Davidovitz is coming to us, as I understand it, live from Trump Tower, Howard. Absolutely. You live in the home of the president-elect. Correct. What's it like to live in a tower that is basically a military outpost now, it seems? Well, I, I must tell you, my reaction is there's no military outpost. I mean, I go in and out, and I put my stuff through the machine. It takes one second, and that's it. So I, I don't feel I'm in any outpost. However, there are a lot of people in the building who do feel exactly, as you just said, a military outpost. Uh, I think the NYPD has been absolutely sensational, and so is the Secret Service. They're total gentlemen and gentle ladies and have been doing their job magnificently and really don't bother us very much at all. That's my personal reaction. However, if I was one of the stores like Gucci, Tiffany's, 
Nike or one of those stores that that if you're a customer, a lot of customers are going to be turned off on going, and that's pretty heavy duty because 10% of Tiffany's business is in their flagship store on Fifth Avenue. So that could be a problem for some stores. And that's where I see the problem as far as the residents go. At least from my perception and my reality, we just go in and out. If you want to make a big deal out of it, good luck. But to me, it's no big deal. Yeah, I am fascinated, Howard. And actually, I, when Tom Keen was starting to talk about Tiffany's and Gucci and how they're hit, I was laughing it off at the start, right? But you really believe that Tiffany could get hurt because yeah. they're really next door to Donald Trump. It's not because they're not, Donald Trump has nothing to do. I mean, what, what they, they have a store in a location where there is yeah, of all course. kind of security. Right. right. That's but- going to turn off. I think certain customers from going in because it's a pain in the neck. So I think they're going to lose potential business. And I think that will be hurtful. So I think that'll be part of this total picture. Go ahead, Fred. No, I, I was curious, Howard, when, you know, we've never seen a president like this. So are we expecting the comings and goings to last until uh, January 20th? We understand that actually forever. his life is not fu- no, forever. No, four years or eight years. No, no, it's going to go. <laughs> Look, he, he's going to come home weekends. First of all, he loves the building. Look, George Bush was going to Texas for months, if you recall, for months, and operating out of his Texas home because that's what he liked. No, no, no. I, I mean, I think this is going to go on for four or eight years, and I think everybody's going to get used to it, and all the hysteria will end, and everybody will adjust. As Americans, we adjust to things, and and, that, and that's what will happen. I just don't think it's that big of a deal it, for me. And, 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 and yet, Howard, uh, this is, uh, for those who don't know, Trump Tower is between 56th and 57th on right. 5th Avenue, which basically the shopping section part of 5th Avenue starts at yeah. 59th and goes down. So you've got this security cordon that cuts right. cuts 5th uh, Avenue down to one or two lanes when oh, he's yeah. there. Does that change the whole dynamic of 5th Avenue itself? I do. Well, there are two dimensions to it. One, it's the most expensive space on the planet Earth, $5,000 a square foot. <laughs> from 49 to 57th on 5th. So the retail stores are paying the highest rent on the planet Earth. Highest rent on the planet Earth. Now, when you pay the highest rent on the planet Earth, you expect to be able to do business. There is an obstruction to doing business. And I think this is going to hurt certain stores. And it's unfortunate. And it's part of what's going on. Right, and that's get, it. So get, they'll I mean, have to live with it. They'll have to make an adjustment in their rent. They'll have to do something. They'll litigate. They'll do something. Right, but but Howard, at the end of the day, they're going to lose business. Okay, but can they not make up for that business elsewhere? I don't know if they have other stores that are not oh, too sure. far. Oh, right. Tiffany's is a worldwide. I said that that store is 10% of their business, which is huge, because they've got stores everywhere, all over. It's a worldwide company. They've got stores all across America. Of course, that's, you know, one of their stores. Nike is a giant organization. Gucci, LVMH. I mean, these are giant organizations 
yeah. that will suffer just in that location. Howard Davidovich from Davidovich and Associates, thank you very much for joining us today from Trump Tower. We're hearing it's black. Of course, we know that it's Black Friday, but holiday prices, well, that war is intensifying as companies such as Walmart and Target are pursuing Amazon. So, Mike, let's continue the retail conversation. Let's bring in Jerry Storch. He is Hudson Bay CEO on Black Friday. Jerry, great to have you here in the program. Great to be here. Website. I'm looking at the sales you're on offer. They're great. Is it not too much? How much of an inconvenience is it? If you're a retail person, then what will fly off the shelves or what you will sell online is actually the blockbusters. Well, look, this is Black Friday, and Black Friday is an American institution. And Black Friday is totally about the deals. Everyone knows that. That's, that's why it exists. It's the Super Bowl of retailing, and you have to bring your top game. Uh, people don't go to stores on Black Friday to buy things at regular price. That's a very different time of year, a very different consumer. They come to get the bargains, and they're having fun doing it. You know, it's a treasure hunt. So you have to have great bargains. So like at Lord & Taylor, we have cashmere sweater for thirty nine ninety nine. It is just flying. I mean, people are so excited to snag a cashmere sweater for thirty nine ninety nine. Can I get that online? You can also get it online. Every merchandise offer we have for Black Friday is also available well, here's online. My question. You've been visiting stores, your stores. You have uh, Lord & Taylor. You've got Saks. You've got a whole bunch of department stores around the country. Have you noticed fewer people? I'm not saying lower sales. I'm saying fewer actual bodies in the stores are more people shopping online. And is Black Friday the experience of going out sort of fading? Uh, the answer is that both are happening. So uh, the uh, the physical shopper and the and the in store and the online shopper are both happening. So Black Friday is definitely a physical experience. People love to go out. And still, you have to remember, 85 to 90 percent of sales in almost any category take place in a bricks-and-mortar store. What we are seeing generally in the retail industry as a whole is that more of the growth is taking place online. And of course, the economy is growing. So more of the growth is coming online. And certainly, uh, Thanksgiving Day, and Black Friday are rivaling Cyber Monday in terms of online sales. They're growing very rapidly. For a company like us, whether it's Saks Fifth Avenue, Lord & Taylor, or one of our many other banners, what we're focused on is providing the best all-channel experience. So, so we have the same offers online and in-store, and it's up to the customer to choose how she wants to do it. Sometimes there are doorbusters to get people to wait in line and come into the stores. Like there was, you know, there's a great doorbuster at Lord & Taylor where the first 500 people each day this week get a, a $20 a gift card for being in line and, and going into the store. But uh, but most of the merchandise offers are the same in the store and online. And you buy it however you choose. It's not our job to try to train you or teach you or change your behavior. If you want to buy online, great. You want to come into the store, that's great too. I, I like the way that you, you said she, Jerry. Is, is, it the, is it the she? Is it the female shoppers that actually spend more on Black Friday? Let me tell you, after 30 years in retailer, <laughs> it, it always has been she and always will be she. Uh, the, the, the woman is the CFO of the household and certainly uh, you know, buys far more uh, at retail than, than men do. But, but another interesting phenomenon, as long as we're on this, is that the men's areas in our stores have grown more rapidly than the women's. And it's not just us. It's industry-wide. And we say that men are the new women. 
as they're starting to grow their their, their purchases. I don't know but, how to take that. But, but it's a we, good thing, Mike. Shopping is always a good thing. But, you know, part of it is because with the more casual workplaces, I mean, you know, there are less uh, sort of formal uh, suits and ties. Men have to learn all over again how to dress when they go to work. And, and they need to buy sweaters and, and, and different shoes and, and really pay attention to it because, you know, you can't just wear the same navy blue suit every day to work and no one notices. You've got to be different each day, and that's part of what's driving that. It's still, though, uh, true that vastly more of the, of the spending is by women and more of it is for women. And Jerry, overall, do, do I spend more if I go online and I want to buy a, I don't know, a perfume or, or one of your great sale items that you have on? Do I end up spending more than if I were in a, one of your shops or the other way around? Actually, and quite interesting, you spend more if you're an all-channel shopper. So what we love is customers who love the brand and shop with us whichever way works the best for that occasion, both online or in-store. And what we find is those are the customers who spend the most with us. It's the ones who love us online and love us in the store and sometimes use the combination. So we have some fantastic integration of online and the internet. So for example, if you go to Saks Fifth Avenue, you're likely to have a personal salesperson that you work with. That person knows you, what, the, what you bought the last time. They will send you a curated selection from the website in an email to you that you can then open up and shop the website, but it's not the entire website. It's what your salesperson picked as appropriate for you. And of course, you can get from there to the entire website if you, if you want to get something else. But it's a way of using the internet as a tool that helps you shop even better. <laughs> and if you don't have a salesperson, let's say you go to Saks.com, a widget pops up and it says, would you like to speak to a stylist? And if you say yes, we connect you to someone in the store near you who's not like someone in a call center in some foreign country. It's someone in the store near you who knows something about style. He says, what would you like to get? And we'll do everything to satisfy you. I did it once in front of a group of investors. And I said, I wanted a bow tie. And, and he said, what type? And you want a fancy one? I said, well, just a black one, fine. Next thing you know, the, this nice fellow wanted to deliver it to me. Little did he know that I was in Toronto when I was talking to him in the New York store in that case. But, but uh, you know, it's a fantastic integration experience. And that's what the customers want. They don't, they don't, they don't think, especially uh, millennials and younger people, they're not thinking online versus in-store. They're thinking, this is what I want. This is a brand I like. This is a company I like. You know, whether it's Saks Fifth Avenue, Lord & Taylor, Gilt, Hudson. How do I deal with them? And I deal with them online when I choose to. Sometimes I just look and see what I want to buy and then go to the store and find it. You know, I do whatever I want. I don't, that, that line right. is a false right. dichotomy. Do, do you have a demographic breakdown as to who shops online versus who shops in the brick-and-mortar stores? Is it the millennials who are more likely to shop online? Well, there's no doubt that the, the, the younger you are, the more likely you're, you're, you are to use a smartphone or some Internet-enabled tool. But make no mistake about it. You know, even our most senior customers use the Internet now and have a smartphone. And so everybody's online. Everybody's in the store. And that's the, that's the world of the future. And the online only retailers better get physical pretty darn fast or we physical retailers are going to kill them. And that's why you see some of the Internet guys starting to open up stores now, whether it's Warby Parker with glasses or Amazon with some stores, because they realize that that bricks and mortar thing is kind of an advantage. And we're getting a report from the front lines of Black Friday st uh, shopping. Jerry Storch is the chief executive officer of Hudson's Bay Company. They own a, a whole bunch of department stores. And um, I want to ask you about that, because uh, we've been told uh, that uh, by a lot of retail analysts, the department stores are kind of the, the worst place you want to be these days in retail because everybody's going to specialty stores or they're going online, and, uh, and department stores getting killed. Um, so why, tell me why it's a good business to buy into Hudson's Bay. 
Department stores are an incredibly flexible format, so we can adapt with the time. So if one category is not selling, we can go into a different category. Meanwhile, because the offering is so broad, it's the perfect foundation for an all-channel business to unite the Internet and the stores because we, so, we sell products for young and old, for, for men, for women, for kids. We sell, we sell uh, home products and, uh, and apparel products. We sell everything. So it's a great foundation for, for the future where, where retailing is going. But meanwhile, what we've learned in country after country is that it's not that people like department stores or don't like department stores. People love good department stores, and they don't like bad ones. And so it's so important that we continue to invest in our, in our, in our buildings, invest in our, in our technology in the stores, invest in the experience in the stores so that it's something special to go to the department store. That gets you out of your chair at home in your pajamas and into the store to experience something you can't possibly see anyway, but in a physical sense. But Jerry, how often, I mean, how much in advance do you actually have to order stuff? You say you're flexible, which is true, but you still have to, what, book or buy things and trends and ideas six months in advance or even a year? Well, you know, it, it varies. So we're experimenting a lot with uh, fast fashion inside the department store. So the equivalent to what someone like an H&M or a Zara might do where we have much shorter lead times on, on certain categories of products. There are other products where, let's take uh, cashmere sweaters, where it, do, where, where it doesn't make any sense to wait till the last second to order them because you get a much better deal for you, yourself and for the customer to offer that thirty nine ninety nine cashmere sweater <laughs> at Shameless L- Lord & Taylor. Well, but it's true. You know, if you What's want your favorite sell, color, If you want to sell a sweater at $39.90, you need to order a lot of them and order them well in advance. So, so we make that decision on a case-by-case basis. So we can be just as flexible as anyone can be. Uh, we were uh, talking with uh, Howard Davidovitz, the retail analyst earlier on the program, who said this country in particular still has a problem of way too many stores and that the uh, the story for retailers going forward is just you're going to have to close stores, which not only throws people out of work, but then you end up with uh, real estate problems as well. Uh, is that something you're experiencing now? Is this down the road? Well, let me give you a couple of thoughts on that. I believe it is true that the United States – almost unique or especially among countries, has too much retail square footage. You know, it's way out of proportion. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, a, a third more than Canada, for example, which would be the closest peer. It's, it's quite a bit more, far beyond that, uh, than what we see when we operate the largest department store in Germany, for example. Far less retail square foot per capita, uh, capita in Europe versus the United States. So clearly too much. So that part's right. But what's going to happen next is, is different, I think, a little bit from what you just said. So it doesn't mean that all the retailers should get together somehow, even if you could even envision this, and all agree, oh, we'll all close a third of our stores or something like that. You know, that's not how it works. Uh, what really needs to happen, what will happen, is that individual retailers will simply go out of business. And we've seen that already. We like Sports Authority, for example, are fairly, re- fairly recently, and uh, you know, many others, is that entire chains will go out of business, and that will put the, put the market more into equilibrium. If you, as an individual retailer, starts closing profitable stores, and most stores that you operate are profitable, if you start closing them, it's, a, uh, it's ridiculous to think that customer is going to go, oh, you close the store near my house? Then... I won't shop at you know your competitor across the street, you know that, who's still open. I'm going to go to your website instead and shop. That's that's not logical because the customer chooses how she wants to shop, and and I, strongly I believe that if she decides she wants to shop in a physical store, she's going to shop in a physical store. You close yours, she's going to your competitor. So sim- simply closing stores doesn't accomplish anything for you individually as a retailer unless you have some that are losing money. But but most successful retailers don't 
It's really hard to lose money in an individual store in retailing. So most don't. So what's, what will happen is there'll be a rationalization of the retail community. That's part of the reason why we do grow a lot through acquisition. That's part of that rationalization. I think the other other point is what happens to the malls, because you asked that question, right? So uh, the malls are, are, you know, are not homogenous. So there are A malls that are really fantastic places, really that have you know, been well-maintained. Well they have beautiful stores. They have beautiful experience. Those are going to thrive. They can, they'll continue to do well in any environment. It's the B malls and the C malls that are going to become like places to get a CAT scans and insurance yeah. offices, things like that. Uh, only got a minute left, so I, gotta, uh, I could talk about that part all day long. But let me ask you this. Um, can you raise prices these days? <laughs> uh, everybody's talking about the return of inflation, but uh, can you? Uh, you know, we're really focused on providing great deals every day. And particularly in Black Friday, your question feels like, like you know, totally beside the point. Because what we're trying to do now <laughs> is, to, yeah. is to offer the best possible deals in every one of our stores, whether it's Saks Fifth Avenue, Lord & Taylor, Saks Off Fifth, or Gilt, or anywhere. All right, Jerry Storch, thanks for joining us, uh, the CEO of Hudson's Bay Company. Good luck on Black Friday shopping. And, uh, uh, friend, uh, you, you, you want to order a sweater, right? I was going to say, so nice of Tom Keen to be off today to buy us cashmere sweaters. Thank you, Tom. I know you're listening. We'll get a blue and a red one. Who you put your trust in matters. Investors have put their trust in independent registered investment advisors to the tune of $4 trillion. Why? They see their role is to serve, not sell. That's why Charles Schwab is committed to the success of over 7,000 independent financial advisors who passionately dedicate themselves to helping people achieve their financial goals. Learn more at findyourindependentadvisor.com. Uh, Don Rissmiller is with us. He is the chief economist at Strategist Partners, and uh, we, we've been talking to him for the last hour on Bloomberg Surveillance on television about uh, all of this and, and how uh, the election may be influencing what people think. That it certainly has in the markets, as we've seen. Um, but how is it going to affect the economy itself? Can we say uh, that the enthusiasm we're seeing in equity markets for Donald Trump is justified. Well, it's nice to be here. And I, I certainly think at least some of it's justified. So part of the issue is we have some optimism on the regulatory side. There's reason for optimism on the fiscal side. And so we have monetary policy, which could continue to normalize at a gradual pace. And even if we don't get big changes on immigration or some of the other policies, that's enough when we look at the economy itself, to say, yeah, some of this is justified. We could do a little better going forward versus where we've been. So versus a forecast of muddle through going into the election, at least there's some upside risk that could transpire over the next year. Don, what is the one thing that, that Donald Trump and his team need to get absolutely right? Is it the spending, so they've promised a trillion? Is it enough if they only get 10% of that? Or is it actually the repatriation of a lot of foreign cash under a new tax regime? So I think all those would help. If I said the one thing they have to get right, I, I would go over and look at the trade side, because I think that's where the biggest uncertainty is at the moment. And that's not that hard to get right, what they have to do is basically not get it wrong. 
so you could get some of the spending. You could get half of the spending. You could get 40% of the spending. Still, all that could be good in this environment where we've had lackluster growth for quite some time. I would say the removal of a negative, in this case, some of the rhetoric on trade, and there's been some move in that direction over the last two weeks. We need to see more. But if we see more of that, I really think that would help reassure people, and not just in the U.S., but in other places as well, that the, there really is some upside potential here. Well, obviously, it's going to take a while to get anything like a tax cut through Congress. So the effects are going to be down the road a bit. The president has a, a lot of power on his own to affect trade. So how much does rhetoric matter? How far can Trump go on trade before it affects the economy? So there are a couple things he's talked about, and this is in the first 100-day plan. There's the NAFTA issue, there's the TPP issue, and there's some concerns about China. So TPP looks like it's dead, and that could be a very uh, early issue that could be done pretty much right away. NAFTA is something where you'd need a renegotiation, and there may be some appetite for that on all sides. So I'm not as worried about that one. There, there's some negotiating room. This could be a, a give and take uh, in North America. China's the one where I think I'd like some reassurance, just to say that we're not going to really get into a trade war, that we're not going to see the worst-case scenario transpire. There's been some talk of labeling China a currency manipulator. What that would do is start a discussion. So we'll see if that happens, how the Treasury Department's the Treasury Department is going to react. But that's where I'd like some clarity, in particular on China, as we look at what trade's going to be. Don, are you concerned? It's my understanding, actually, that first of all, he'll focus on domestic policy, and then he deals with trade, and then he deals with China, right? He, his last tweet 21 hours ago, saying, I'm working hard, even on Thanksgiving, trying to get Carrier AC Company to stay in the U.S. If he does focus a lot on domestic policy, then it, does it increase the chances of him getting foreign policy or trade policy wrong? Well, this depends also who's advising him, and this is where I think there's a lot of attention being paid to who's coming in, in the cabinet, how those individuals are going to view the world, what we're going to see in terms of policy advice that's provided to the president. So I think it's okay to focus on domestic policy in the way we're talking about here, as long as there's a team assembled that can deal with some of the, the international items, and as long as there's not a push from the top to get into tariffs or a, a trade war, those type of things. What, what's the uh, impact of a trade war? I, I mean, we, we say trade war, but suppose he labels China a currency manipulator. Uh, does, I mean, that's like the old Monte Python joke of, you know, if you don't surrender, I'll, I'll insult you again. Does it actually mean anything? Not directly. It would start a conversation. And I think the biggest risk is if we go down that road and there's some action on the other side uh, that, that comes about that we don't know at the moment. In other words, if we label you a currency manipulator, what do you do? Uh, and that's where frictions are always going to be treated poorly in economic models. So if we increase the friction in global trade, if we increase the friction in the economy, it's tough to grow in that type of environment. And I think that's where the analysis of uh, the trade implications is going to focus over the next few months. Well, what are you if I could, Fran, let me just ask uh, um, Don, 
Have you heard any names of people on the economic side? Because we've gotten all these foreign policy people uh, appointed. Um, who would be advising the president-elect? Well, so there's clearly a hawkish move on the foreign policy side. I think we can safely say that uh, at the moment. And I'm not sure uh, I know who's going to get the president's ear uh, more or less over the next uh, four years in terms of whether the economy should go. But what I do think is we're, we're looking at an environment where if we take a step back and we say this is a global economy whether we like it or not, we can do domestic policy, but let's do it in a global context. The more of that we get, I think, the better we're going to be. Don, are you talking about retaliation from China? So there, there are two questions, right? First of all, whether as Trump becomes president, then China moves to fill in this global leadership vacuum, which the U.S. would leave if you retrench uh, from foreign policy and global trade. But the other one is if Donald Trump or someone on his team uh, say they're a currency manipulator, do they actually uh, stop access of you know U.S. companies to certain you know to the Chinese market essentially? Well, so there's. The end of access, there's also just more expensive access if we talked about how tariffs uh, could be implemented. So I think that there's a couple different issues here. There's the political issue of the region. In other words, part of the move on the TPP was for the United States to have some influence in Asia, a pivot to Asia. Uh, that looks like that could be over. Uh, and so that leaves a bit of a vacuum. It's natural for China to step into that uh, position. I'm not sure that's bad. We'll see how that how that goes. So the biggest thing that would worry me is some sort of retaliation, some sort of competition that's created on the price of goods, on the tariff side. That's where I think you create the friction that would slow down growth. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. I'm Michael McKee sitting in for Tom Keene. And Francine Lacroix is with me today, sitting in for David Gurr. Or is it the other way around? Are you sitting in ask. for Tom and I'm sitting in for David? I was going to ask exactly that, Mike. How Who's who? How do we know? Well, when the music stops, you just grab a chair. <laughs> Sitting in the chair next to me is Don Rismiller. He's the chief economist at Strategus. We were talking during the break, Fran, about something that's right up your alley. Um, the impact, not just on the uh, United States, uh, but on the world of what's going on in Europe. That has been the story every year since basically the financial crisis ended. And we still can't get away from it because in another week we have a referendum vote in Italy. And you, you were talking about how that is also affecting the markets. Yeah, it looks to me like the political uncertainty could be shifting to Europe. So we had this big buildup to the U.S. election, and then we had two weeks where we kind of processed a surprise. And now we have to start thinking about how the referendum in Italy will go. Renzi said he would resign with a, a vote that went against him. We have an, an Austrian election. We have the French election next year. There's a German election coming up. So this isn't going to end. This is going to continue for quite some time. Yeah, although, Don, and I understand that there's a lot of political turmoil uh, coming up potentially in Europe. But remember, we had the Greek crisis. So, Mike, it's not like it's anything new here in Europe. We are used to it. Do we worry uh, too much about politics in Europe? I know it's difficult to predict, Don, but there is a sense of actually Brexit happened. The polls weren't really predicting. Trump happened. We weren't really predicting it. And so now everything's priced in, that a no referendum vote is priced in, and also a possible Marine Le Pen win is priced in France. Well, it seems to me Renzi's big hope would be the polls are wrong. So we've seen the polls be incorrect in the Brexit vote. The polls were somewhat off uh, here in the United States that we could argue about whether it's the polls themselves or the interpretation of the polls. But certainly the, the hope would be if you were 
uh, frenzy that maybe the poll's wrong again, maybe it could it could change. So uh, I think the issue with political uncertainty, as I see it, is does the euro survive? Does the EU survive in a way that, that makes sense? And so if we had a euro member start to challenge uh, EU membership, that seems tougher uh, to swallow than the Brexit vote. Is that really at the forefront of anybody's mind, or is this just sort of, you know, do people look at Italy and, and think that is something that could actually happen? Well, maybe not, but that's why it's useful, I think, for market participants to, to watch. In other words, what's priced in, in terms of where we're going uh, with, let's say, the Fed in December. It looks like we've had that priced into the market if we look at, at market odds. So if we're trying to say where could the surprise be, well, the surprise certainly in the last few weeks has been the U.S. election. The surprise going forward may be somewhere else, and Italy's up there as something that could start a chain reaction. So by itself, it's not that big a deal. But if this starts a chain reaction where we start getting EU referendums in Italy or in other places, I think that's, that's something to consider. Right. So how should the markets deal with it, right? What you're implicating is that we kind of, you know, start jumping at shadows and looking at every world-changing implication, even if it's as harmless in certain cases as a referendum. Should the markets deal with that? So uh, expect the worst and hope for the best? Well, that or, well, let's, let's put it this way. Let's take the strength in the dollar uh, over the uh, past few weeks. That makes some sense if we have fiscal stimulus coming in the U.S., if we've had a regime change in terms of regulatory uh, items. But it also makes sense in a context where whatever is happening with single-party control now in the U.S., there's some certainty. The uncertainty uh, is abroad. And so I certainly think for foreign currency uh, traders, this matters. Uh, Let me ask you this. Uh, The markets are trading as if there is a new, new normal, or else we've gone back to the old normal. Do you think that is the case? Uh, There seems to be this general view that the U.S. economy is going to suddenly uh, reignite. Yeah, I'm not sure we're all the way back to the old normal. Maybe we're a part of the way back to the old normal. In other words, we had this fear of deflation that was being driven by a lot of debt, an aging demographic, some of these structural items. So none of that's really changed. And that was part of this new normal idea that trend growth would be slower because we have these large structural factors that are out there. So that's still in place. It would seem to me what we're saying is for the next year, maybe there's a reprieve. For the next year, maybe there's a boost in sentiment. Maybe there's a change in the regulatory side, things that could be done quickly. And then for the year after that, maybe there's the knock-on effects of fiscal policy. So there's the indirect effects of stimulus right now in terms of sentiment. There's the direct effects of stimulus, say, a year from now in terms of actual fiscal spending. And it looks like with single-party control, something will get done. So it's all good for equity markets. Well, uh, until we get, say, bond yields up high enough where we have to start worrying about housing, where we have to start worrying about some of those secondary effects. I say the near-term risk-on trade certainly makes sense. Don Rissmiller with some uh, optimistic views here on Black Friday. Maybe you want to go shopping because, uh, at least in the short run, things will be good. He's the chief economist at Strategus. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on iTunes, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. 
I'm out on Twitter at Tom Keen. David Gura is at David Gura. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio. Who you put your trust in matters. Investors have put their trust in independent registered investment advisors to the tune of $4 trillion. Why? Learn more at findyourindependentadvisor.com.